The views on this podcast belong uniquely and solely to the mouths from which they emanate. I don't know how to put it all together so well as they do, but I know how to take it apart. Welcome to the Weekly Linguist Podcast. This is Jarrett. I am in Newsroom 103 at KBYS 88.3 McNeese Radio in Lake Charles, Louisiana. This week, we are continuing our discussion with Dr. Karen Rice. So, last week, we talked about the Athabascan languages, which uh, are now preferably called Denny languages. They are languages of North America, mostly in Canada and uh, Alaska, but also in the, the, the southeastern United States. And we talked about a lot of things like African sequences and polysynthetic languages and single words that form whole sentences and all of these really cool things. And I hope you enjoyed listening to it. So today... We're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about another one of Dr. Rice's passions, the one that very much coincides with mine. And to be honest with you, I owe much of that to Dr. Rice and a discussion panel that she participated in at the annual meeting of the Linguistic Society of America back in, I believe it was 2016. Anyway, sitting in that discussion, I heard them talk about community-based research. And quite honestly, it ended up revolutionizing the work that I was doing at Tulane. Uh, the work that I'm doing in Bantayan Island, on Bantayan Island in the Philippines, is very much community-based. And much of that is due to what I learned from Dr. Rice. So it's near and dear to my heart. Um, I hope you enjoy the podcast this week. It's going to be fun and it's going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm thinking it's something that uh, most of you have not heard about or not thought about, and so maybe it'll be thought-provoking um, uh, to you. Um, I will say this. I don't want to harp on this uh, too much, uh, but remember, please, if you didn't hear what I mentioned to you in the beginning of the last episode, for the next couple episodes, next couple guests, there's a, going to be a little bit of audio problems. We've got those fixed um, going forward. But we didn't want to not release these excellent interviews that I had already done, even though my quality of my microphone was very poor. So anyway, hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please consider going on to iTunes and subscribing and rating us and check us out at Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the handle for both of them is Weekly Linguist. Uh, start a discussion. Talk about the podcast. Talk about the episode. Tell us what you think. Mostly just enjoy it. And uh, let's learn something today from Dr. Rice. Thank you. Now, I want to switch for a moment to community-based research. And um, I, I wanted to, uh, I don't remember whether I've already said this, but I, I can't, I can edit it out if I have. <laughs> but I, I first came in contact with you at the LSA at a panel discussion that was happening on, on basically this idea of community-based or collaborative research. And it fascinated me so much because I kind of saw what was going on in my particular project in Bantayan very much through these lenses. And I realized I, we're doing this and I didn't even realize it, that it was a thing, <laughs> you know. And so it, it really sparked my interest and I began to look, at, and look into it a lot. And as a matter of fact, um, I developed a little course that me and 
Judy Maxwell did on collaborative uh, research, uh, community-based research. I read a lot of the literature, and I, I even gave a little presentation to a uh, linguistics class once at LSU based on community-based research and everything that I learned. So I'm going to put into, like I said, you gave me permission, I'm going to put in the PowerPoint that you sent me into the uh, scr- uh, uh, the show notes uh, on the website for this episode. But I wanted to start off by asking you, I don't, forgive me, let me back up for a second. There was, I remember when I was looking through all this, there was a discussion back in, and I'm looking for the date here, um, the, the 2013, 2015, there was this discussion about uh, the idea of uh, what Crippen uh, and Robinson called a lone wolf linguist. And then uh, Claire, uh, Claire Bowen and Natasha Warner responded talk, uh, talking about um, an opposite view, you know. And so, and that was, that, that was an interesting discussion because the basic idea is, you know, is it legitimate for linguists just to work by themselves and do their work? Or is it a more appropriate model for them to literally work alongside the community uh, in order to accomplish let's say, what could be mutually beneficial goals. So uh, I wanted to start there and then ask you this question. What, where did you, or how did you get involved or interested in community-based research? And tell us briefly, like, what it is and what sets it apart from what's traditionally been done. Well, I think that to some degree, it's really hard to work in the communities that I work in without getting involved. And partly you have to get a license to work there and is from the government and the government wants to know what it is that you have to offer. But partly people have expectations of you. I should say that those expectations aren't necessarily that you're going to do linguistic work, but that you're going to do something for the community. And so I did, you know, I spent a lot of time doing people's income taxes and things like that. So there's some, you know, there's an expectation that you do something. But as people get interested in thinking about the languages, then they often are looking for someone who's got a different kind of knowledge than they have in order to help them with it. And so I think that that's really what happened. And I guess also... I was involved in a project that was looking at, well, there were a couple different parts to it, but one part of it was what a dictionary should look like. And so we spent a lot of time in looking at that and looking at the questions. And then the other part of it was development of an orthography system and there was one, but they were interested in standardizing it. And so that that was committees that were made up of people from the communities and with uh, with a linguist as a kind of a resource person for each one of those community committees. And so um, I, I think, I also think that you can't do this work if you really want to understand something about the language because if you want to understand the language, you've got to get some kind of understanding of the culture. It's practically impossible to do it without that. 
<clears throat> the more you become involved with people, the more you understand, and then the more you don't understand too. The more you realize you don't know. Yeah. And this is why we have that pejorative term for some of those. I don't know. Some of them are fairly, fairly well known, but they, you know, I've heard heard from. I've heard them called helicopter linguists. You know, yeah. The ones that come in and they pop in, they do their work, and they go on. Yeah. But I, I, I was really. This hit me kind of hard one time when when I was in Bantayan in the Philippines working, and it's a it's a particular it's a very interesting place. So a lot of anthropologists, a lot of scientists go there. And I interviewed this lady, and we were talking to her about different things. And one of the things that she said to me was, "Are you going to let me have?" a copy of this dictionary that you produce because all of these people always come in here and they come in, they get all this information and then they leave and we never hear from them again. Yeah. And I, that, that, yeah. that really hit home with me. I think it also affects the kind of linguistics that you do. So I think that you aren't going to be interested in narrow th theoretical, you might be interested in narrow theoretical questions, but <laughs> people aren't interested in narrow theoretical questions of things right, they don't right. say. What they're interested in is recording stories and having language that's really in use. So I think, how could you do that if it's not community-based? But community-based also means different things in different places because different communities have different expectations or are different points along the continuum. So I also think you have to be really careful to not go in with a definition of community-based and then be disappointed when it doesn't work out that way because, you know, some communities, they're too overwhelmed with other things. There was a point that someone else and, that someone else and I in a community were uh, putting, going to put in a grant proposal, and in the end, we didn't do it because they just, there was too much else going on. And the people who needed to have buy-in to it just weren't able to give that buy-in at that time. And so we just abandoned it. We just didn't even submit the grant. Yeah, I've had the same situation. Yeah. It's just, it's people have to live. People have jobs. Yeah. They have to feed their families, you know. But th this the actual participation or where the community can draw a line between the, the linguist and you know who's doing what, it's it can be a spectrum, right? That's so right. it can yeah. be the, the, the linguist spearheads the work, but the community gets involved, or it could be the community has a vision and gets a linguist to help them. Yeah. Or there's a it, it can go both ways on this, right? This is all yeah. included. But the basic idea is being it's the community and the linguist working together. Yes, and, it, and, it, I th and I think it's not necessarily meaning people are all doing the same thing. I think people right, can right, be right, doing right, right. very different things, and it doesn't mean it all has to be step, step together. So there, there's just a lot of, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what community-based research is, and so that's why I like to be careful in talking about it, because people will sometimes get upset if they think that they want to do community-based research and then the community isn't interested. And so that, uh, they, but they're going in with a definition of community-based that I think you just have to be careful about. And I, I'd also want to clarify, at least from my perspective, and you feel free to disagree, but I don't think that this is saying that there is no place for 
what they called the Lone Ranger linguist. Um, I, I, because a situation like that, if they have no objection, but they're not interested in helping, there's nothing really inappropriate about yeah, that language. No, I agree. That language. And, and I, I think sometimes that kind of situation will actually grow into another kind of situation where people get excited and they see that there's something in this for them. So it might be that that's the starting point. And it might be that they're happy for the employment and that they, what they really don't want to do any more than that. Well, and that brings me to one of the other questions I wanted to ask you. Um, I, I, I have never paid anybody in the Philippines. Um, I've, I've given some people like some money to get on the, on the little, on the public transportation or something like this, but I've never paid anybody for services. And, but I, I have encountered this question talking to other people, and that is, are you really cooperating if you're paying? Um, I'd, I'd have to say it probably depends on the circumstances, but you're asking for people's time, and if they're not paid, they're not going to be able to spend that time some of them, anyway. Right, it's not like they don't want to. Yeah. It's not like they're not interested. It's that everybody yeah. has to feed their family. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I just think you've got to be careful in thinking about what it means to work together and that there's not a single definition of it. Well, and both groups bring advantages, right? Uh, typically, yeah. the, the linguists might bring financial advantages that the community might not have. Yeah. But on the other hand, like I've often told the people that I work with, I, I say, they look at me sometimes for answers and I say, you're the expert. Yeah. This is your language. This is what you, you know, you, you tell me whether this, where, where the stress is on this word, or you tell me if there's a glottal at the end to it. But then the other thing is that I would not have personally would not have been able to find nearly as many people to interview had I not known somebody that said, Hey, you should go interview X, Y, Z person yeah. that lives over there because she's 115 years old and she talks the old way, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. there, there's a lot of ways in which the, the, the linguist and the community can work together. Yes, and I, and I think that, you know, one way is the development of dictionaries, uh, but there's lots of other ways, uh, the curriculum materials. And it depends a lot on the community, what their needs are and what their perceived needs are. There's an article by Eva Tchaikowska Higgins, and I like what she says there about one of the benefits of working together, of community-based research, is all of the intangible things that you gain and that everybody gains. And so I think that that's a, just a really nice way of thinking about it, is that there's the tangible, so maybe you write a grammar or a dictionary or you publish a paper, um, you make recordings, and then there's all the intangibles. And that's kind of empowerment of people and things like that. So I think there's a lot of other things that happen with this kind of work. I'll find that, and I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. But you, you, you use the word empowerment. Um, not, not, not needing to speak about every single one of these, but I had a slide that I made at one point when I did that presentation of buzzwords. And in, in, when you're talking about community-based research, you get you, you start getting words that show up like this, like autonomy, yeah. uh, sh sharing of responsibility and authority, yeah. mutually beneficial. 
equitable, relationships, trust, legacy. So these are the these are the type words that listening to these words, you get an idea of kind of the purpose and the goal and what, what you're trying to achieve when you're working together with a community to document or revitalize their language. In one of your papers, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was the paper titled with a word that I can't pronounce that I'd like to ask you to help me with, mean learning together. And the subtitle was The Importance of Indigenous Perspectives in the Identification of Biological Variation. And so one of the questions that I wanted to ask, well, two, how do you say that word? It's and it means learning together. The part means together. The part means, uh, the rest of it means uh, learning. So it's sort of learning from each other. Is that apostrophe looking symbol? Is that is that a glottal? Oh, that's the that's the, that's a sign. That's for the, that's an ejective consonant, a glottalized consonant. Yeah. So it's. Uh, and what is the what is the bar through the initial L for our listeners? What is that doing? Um, it makes it a sound that's like in Welsh. It's called a voiceless L, and so instead of being, it sometimes it sounds sort of like a sh. But it's flaw. Oh, yeah. Isn't that similar to the word Nahuatl, that, they, that L at the end of Nahuatl, where it becomes voiceless L? Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, cool. All right, let's see here. And then number two, you talked about the that you learned a lot about differentiation among the animal, the caribou, based on the ability to work together. And my question was, do you think things like this, would, information would not have been available without working together with a group. Yeah, I think that that project would never have been done without the really close collaboration of the linguist. Um, so that project was motivated by trying to look at caribou DNA. But the person who was interested in that could never have done that work by herself because she couldn't, she just didn't know enough about the caribou to know. And so it was really important for her that she learn the names of the different kinds of caribou and that she have that information there. And the only way she could do that was by traveling with people. And the people told stories about the caribou that led her to looking at things. I came in to that project because I could often give more literal translations for the words for caribou than the community, than the speakers could. Because like you said before, sometimes you can't break something down. You just know it as a word. And sometimes you can break it down, but sometimes you can't. Whereas like, I know how to do that. I don't know how to put it all together so well as they do, but I know how to take it apart. And so I think that that's really an important thing. So I, so I think that, yes, I think that that's a project that really was cooperative, collaborative project and could never have been done without the full team. This has been fascinating. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this is because I learned so much. Yeah, it's a good, really nice thing about doing this kind of thing. There's all these R words that are used with respect to indigenous research in Canada 
So uh, I, let me see if I can remember all of them. It's there's respect, relevance, reciprocity, responsibility, and relationships. And so I, you were saying some of those words before, and those are all really important, the ones that you put on your slide. And I think that these words kind of sum it up in a nice way. And that's a, that's a, a new way of thinking for in our field and, and particularly for some linguists and some, some academics. I, I, know of yeah. a, I know of an academic one time, and I won't name her name, but I know of one that was very offended by the idea that, that she would have to collaborate with the people she was working with to be able to do her work because she saw that as an affront to her academic integrity and freedom. And uh, I don't know if very many people today would still say that, but I, I'll never forget that 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 person that was very bothered by this idea of having to work with somebody. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there are so many different kinds of things that we can do with our lives. And I think what you hope is that somebody ends up in the right space for them. And uh, they, uh, so I think for me, this is the right space that I've ended up in. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I think I would have a hard time doing something that was just narrowly driven by theory. And um, this is a better place for me to be. But I was also brought up by a social worker. So (laughs) I think that that makes a difference too. Well, let me say this as well. And I'm going to ask you one final question to close. And then I want to say this. Along those lines, I also want to thank you because... um, much of what I'm doing, much of the way things have been structured, much of the way that I've begun to think since that panel discussion was due to these concepts that you introduced me to and made clearer in my mind. And it, it really gave me some of the work that I do seem a lot more purposeful. Um, so really quick, some of the work that we're doing is laying the foundation for hopefully getting the elementary school dic- uh, 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 materials where the children learn to read into their language so that they don't have to learn Cebuano to be able to learn to read. And so, um, and, and I, I, I was very much affected and influenced by, by you and your kindness in speaking to me in my email a few times after that uh, panel discussion, and I want to thank you. Well, thank you. Could I just say one more thing? Sure. What, that I learned, and uh, I think this is one that sort of stuck with me. I, I used to get kind of upset because people would ask me, I would be knitting, and people would ask me why I was wasting my yarn. And I didn't feel like I was wasting my yarn. I felt like I was using my yarn. And what I learned later was that there's the word that they were translating as waste in English is negative, but the word in the Dene language is not negative, it's neutral. And so that it was a real eye-opener to me in terms of thinking about the importance of looking at what's valued in how people behave. And so I think that in order to really do this work, you need to learn a lot about the culture. And that's another challenge, learning about the languages one challenge, but learning about the culture is a different kind of challenge. And but I don't, I don't think you can really do this kind of work without learning a lot about the culture. 
So that's another reason why you can't just do it on your own. Maybe you can learn about language structure on your own, but you can't learn about language use on your own. And I think what we see is a real push to learning about language use. So I'm not saying you don't want to learn about structure, but I'm saying you want to learn about more than structure. True, true. Well, this is the final question then. Uh, I guess in a sense we'll end this, this episode on an action point. What do you mean when you say that community-based research is action-oriented? Well, that's a term that is used in the community-based literature, uh, in the community-based literature. So what it means is that something should come of it. And so academics often just want to go write papers. And maybe that makes a difference in some way. But this should be making a difference for people's lives and should be making their lives better. And so that's how it's action-based. Well, I know that if Mary Haas, years and years ago, had not made recordings of Tunica, then the, yeah, Tunica, know, the, the Tunica group today yeah. would not have them. And so, you know, yeah. something, something came... Well, and I know that's not exactly yeah. what you're saying, but, it, the, you know... But that's the, that's the argument for the humanities, yeah. actually. Yeah. Is that you never know. Like when I think I was um, on a committee a few years ago and they were, it was around the time that things were starting to get uh, bad in Afghanistan. And so they were saying, what if people hadn't written all those grammars of the languages of Afghanistan? How would we ever figure out how to communicate? So. Well, then finally, you know, that, that this, we started off this discussion talking about the, the lone wolf discussion, and they were drawing the distinction between revitalization programs and documentation programs. But sometimes those two things can go hand in hand. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of times, well, I think they do go hand in hand. I, they probably can't start off that way. They probably start off as one or the other. But as you're doing revitalization, you're also having to learn a lot about the languages, so you're doing a lot of documentation. But it might be really hard to start a revitalization program if there's no documentation. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Rice, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And um, thank you. Thank and, you um, for asking me. I, 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 I'm, I was just thrilled that you accepted, and uh, you were actually Judy is Judy is the first person I thought of, and you were actually the second because of all of that all of the stuff that I had done and studied with the community-based research and everything. And so I thank you. Thank you again. I'll email you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Hey there, this is Jules from Commercial Free 88.3 KBYS.FM, McNeese Radio in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I host the Afternoon Drive from 5 to 7 p.m., and you can listen live at KBYS.FM. We're going to leave it there for this episode, and we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for part two. In closing, remember to check out the show notes at weeklylinguist.com. There you will find further information about this episode, like more information about the guest, a selected bibliography, and any resources mentioned in this episode. You can also subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and as of this week, Pandora, with more being added as we go. As the saying goes, if you've enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell us. You can tell a friend by rating us five stars on iTunes and by writing a glowing endorsement in the reviews. Don't forget to subscribe when you're done. 
and follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Weekly Linguists. Please send us your feedback, positive or critical, by emailing us at podcast at weeklylinguist.com. That's podcast at weeklylinguist.com. Tell us what you think, what we're doing well, what we can do better, or even suggest a topic for an upcoming episode. 